Welcome to the podcast where I invite you on a journey to explore meaning, vulnerability and purpose through the lens of a life lived in geekdom. I'm David Monteith and I am the Naked Geek. Welcome, lovely people, back to the boudoir of the Naked Geek. And uh, today I've got an old friend to chat to. His name is Adam Thornton Dewhurst. Sorry, I just love saying it like that. And I can guarantee you his name has been on the credits of many films and TV shows that you love. But you will have never heard his name before. Um, So today I'm going to introduce you to Adam. He's going to tell you about himself and we're going to explore what's got him to where he is now. So hold tight, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Adam. Welcome to the boudoir of the naked geek, Adam Dewhurst. Are you, what what are you at the moment? Are you double barreling? What's your work? I'm, I'm, no, no, Dewhurst is fine. Go with that. Okay. That's okay. I'm not double barreling unless I want a film credit and I want my name to stand out. Then nice. I double barrel because it takes an entire line in the credits. Excellent. I want you to know that I am one of those people who reads every name in the credits. Good. I, so I appreciate all those people who don't usually <laughs> get appreciated, even the production babies. So, um, Oh, yeah. They're very important. There you go. Production babies help. <laughs> so let's say I have, I have, met, how long have we known each other, Adam? Um, I would say since I was probably like, since I was doing A-levels uh, through a mutual friend. So it's probably about since I was 17. So we're going on 22, 23 years and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. Just, just maybe you shouldn't have been so accurate because now I just feel old all over again. <laughs> um, so I, I just remember going to uh, uh, the early days of sort of conventions in Bristol with oh, you. Yeah. And now, what's your job title? Uh, I am now head of assets for a visual effects company, and I do a, a lot of geeky movies, and I make special effects for films on, that can, can't do these things in reality. Now, this is, this is why I get excited. Could you name Could you name a few things that you've done? And I'll hold up my hands and go, woohoo, if I've, if I've um, heard of them. Well, I'm going to start with the big ones then. Um, uh, so uh, the best claim to fame I have is that I got to build Rocket Raccoon for the first Guardians of the Galaxy. You got to build Rocket Raccoon? Well, I'm, firstly, I'm... I'm it, it was awesome to work on him, but it's it's never one guy's job. So mm. I came in and my title was lead digital modeler. So I led a team that made all the creatures for um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so we did Rocket. We did a bit of group because that was handled by another company. Um, but we did a whole load of weird and wacky creatures for that film. But Rocket was obviously the pinnacle. Um, so okay, I didn't I, know that. That's really cool. <laughs> That's made me excited. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. So did, um, but specifically, it's weird though because I'll say things like, "Oh, I got to do Rocket's facial expressions." <laughs> funny thing to claim, but I, that's I did like his hands. I did his facial expressions, and I did his eyes, and I did, and someone else did the you know the rough body, and then I I did one of the costumes, and someone else did another costume. So it's a shared. It's about six of us make it because that to do a CG character that lasts you know a, a two-hour film obviously requires. It to do quite a lot and yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a team effort Does, do you um, have a, a specialty I, I, I ask because I remember you telling me a long time ago that there was a guy who was so good at doing drool 
yeah, became known as the drool guy and got a bit yeah, fed that's up with it. That's the story I heard early on where he was there was a guy at a company called the Moving Picture Company, and he um, specialized in drool. And he he was a he got to do the drool on Van Helsing on the werewolves, but he was so good at it they put him on Alien vs Predator as well. And then started being known as the drool guy, and they put they brought him in to do all the drool on various nasty things. So um, I don't know if I'd want that name, the drool no. guy. No, who grows up going? I'm going to be the drool guy. Yeah. Go on. What uh, else have you done? Uh, Make me excited. Harvey, I worked on Harvey Dent for The Dark Knight, um, nice. which is another weird one where I we actually did three versions of Harvey Dent because they were they were concerned as to how um, how realistic the the, the burn marks were going to be so we made one you know in the in the dark knight version it's it's very skeletal and very anatomy accurate mm. um we did one that was much more sort of sealed up burnt flesh which is probably more accurate to a burn but um it was horrific it was so horrific they went no we'll see more skeleton that'll be more tolerable <laughs> nice so um i worked on that and then i worked on john carter and mars <gasps> i um, love such an underrated movie as far as i'm concerned that thing is a and that was the funny thing for that again is it's made by pixar but they sort of it was pixar's first foray into live action and they, it's all the directors and the management everything is pixar but they swept that under the rug because it didn't do the box office they wanted i, I think uh, the marketing was awful the marketing didn't didn't let you know what you were in for and, and the other thing is that a lot of people think um oh it's stolen this from star wars or whatever but it's it's totally the reverse because that book yes the edgar rice burroughs books are, are pretty much the basis for a lot of modern science fiction um indefinitely in including star wars there's a whole load of stuff it's clearly and he also edgar rice burroughs also invented tarzan so there's a lot of uh yeah yep. sort of geek foundation right there um but i did that i did world war z i did clash of the titans uh i did i worked on doctor who season six for a bit Um, which which was season six which one was i did dinosaurs on a spaceship (laughs) with matt smith excellent that was fun i did the um the ice warrior on the submarine i forget his name begins with a z hard to pronounce something something like that um yeah yeah, now I've, i've been doing stuff for a little while so um yeah but now i've now i've ticked off marvel i've ticked off dc i've ticked off a fantasy film and a sci-fi so i've kind of um i've done all the things i set out to do <laughs> what are you gonna do now what's left no let's, let's like go around again no we're currently it's quite exciting because there's a lot of we were talking about this earlier there's a lot of content coming out for disney and for netflix and amazon so um it's it's great because um oh god i wish i could tell you the one that we're just beginning to work on but i'm going to be breaking contracts so i'm not going to do it no uh, it's 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 a franchise that you and i would have watched you know in the 80s and suddenly it's coming back so it's an exciting oh, okay i have that with um i've done three motion capture games in the last oh. two years and i still cannot talk about any of them and i'm dying to <laughs> i'm dying to it's it's yeah, so it, that is the curse of working in the entertainment industry is you work on something but then you've got to wait six months a year honestly nothing i've done in the last two years is out yet so i'm just waiting to, to talk to people about oh. things that i've done uh, annoying. Yeah. you know the funniest thing I, I the last thing i did that came out was hobbs and shaw for did you do <laughs> right so <laughs> i siobhan and i decided, i was in i was doing a job i was doing an acting job in belfast 
And uh, the guys I was sharing house, we decided to go to the cinema. And the only thing worth watching was Hobbs and Shaw. And I'd completely avoided the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise. And we went in there. And the moment Idris Elba comes out and they say his name is Brixton, I was yeah. like, I am all over this. So let's go see this movie. <laughs> I want to see Idris Elba as someone called Brixton. And it was such nonsense. And I loved it so it's, much. It's, it's a popcorn fest, that one. Absolutely. one where you just sit there and you're going what is happening <laughs> but you don't want to leave you're just like i can't believe they just did that so yeah, but that, that put me in a place where Sean and i decided uh we were gonna you know what let's see what the far, rest of the fast and furious is like that was so much fun so we thought we'll start at the beginning see see what you've, you, you've got there is you've started at the pinnacle of ludicrousness and yeah. <laughs> now you've gone back to it at the beginning where it's vaguely reasonable in in its content or sensible and then like vaguely like, reasonable where's, like where, that. Yeah, vaguely where, where's all that that crazy stuff i saw in the latest one they, they work up to that it yeah has, they, have to, they have to top the last one i think it's a problem but I, i'm a completist i have to do it in order i just can't help myself so uh let's do you think um do you think your love of geekdom mm. uh influenced your choice of career oh one one hundred percent, one hundred percent. There was a point I can remember it. There was a point I was living with a friend of mine, and uh, I was halfway through my uh, uni degree, which was graphic design. And um, I was spending so much time with him. We had a we had a floor to ceiling wall of VHS, and um, we would just buy them secondhand from Blockbuster. We'd buy anything, you know. And it was just a case we just wanted to grow the collection. And we would sit there and watch the most ludicrous B movies. Um, and we were big fans of like Fletch and um, Fletch Lives, which is uh, Chevy Chase. For yes. those who don't know. And then the Evil Dead series. And we were just watching these crazy films and effectively acting like film critics. But I was spending so much time doing that with him. And I was just like, I don't really want to end up being a graphic designer. And it, it just, I had a moment. And I think I'm lucky to have had that moment because a lot of people don't. Where I just went, I want to work in the film or I want to be doing something with this. And so then it, I, I was lucky actually, because it was about halfway through my degree and I went off and I basically decided, how am I going to get into film? And through a process of, you know, um, elimination, I was like, I'm, I can't write, I can't act. Uh, I'm not a director. <laughs> um, and in the end I was like, I'm quite good with computers. Um, and I'm quite good. And I'm quite a good sculptor. And I ended up, at the time Jim Henson Creature Shop was based in Camden and so I ended up standing outside the front door and just badgering people and saying how do I get a job here how do I get a job here oh really you did I wow I admire that so much but what I what I didn't realize at the time was that animatronics and puppetry and stuff was a sort of dying industry and that it's not really taught in schools or anything you basically have to become an apprentice to learn that stuff um and so um what I was hearing from people coming out is, oh, go learn Maya, which is a 3D animation software, and go learn Maya. So then I went off and I looked into it and I was like, oh, oh yeah, I can do I can do the digital equivalent of animatronics. And so I went off and I did a three-month training course and then worked, worked my way up to film. And it was about three or four years later, I suddenly found myself, uh, the first job I got was on the Golden Compass. Um, and I was just, <laughs> I remember them offering me the job and I leapt out of the out of the chair being like what how how has this happened you know spot a yeah, turnaround yeah. um so yeah 100 my love of of 
anything sort of geeky totally influenced where I am now. And it, it makes a difference because, you know, I enjoy my career. I enjoy my day to day. And it, I think if you have a passion for something, you're more likely to stick with it and succeed, so to speak. I love that. So what I'm taking away from your story is that mm. when you're younger, sitting around and doing nothing but watching films is a definite way to find the career of your dreams. <laughs> yeah. have I, or have okay. I got the wrong message well, that's, that's exactly the message I was trying to get across yeah I thought so <laughs> I, I tell you what the message is what pa- passion if you have a passion for something you know that will drive you forward so um, I, think, I guess that's I guess that's the message embrace those passions I'm just writing that down <laughs> I wasn't expecting to be saying uh, philosophical stuff you know, words of wisdom. No, the words are exactly that. That's that's <laughs> uh, love it. Um, so let's go back. As a kid, what was it that thrilled you most? I think most people have got that thing and go, "Oh, I watched this thing, or I read this comic, or I read this book, and my heart just went boom," and uh, mm. and I was kind of hooked. Um, it's a good, it's a really good question. Um, you know, as a kid, obviously. I, I feel like some of us are fortunate to have grown up in that period where Transformers and He-Man and Ninja Turtles and everything was on mm. television. I mean, but ultimately that's about the toy sales. And now, now we're watching all these documentaries going, oh, they just want to flog toys. Who knew? Yeah. Um, but actually for me, I think it was um, sometime around the beginning of secondary school, a friend of mine was, was selling comics. He was selling his comics because he was trying to make some extra cash and having never had i'd always bought the uk equivalent of spider-man or something mm. it'd been like a bumper edition and it would have four or five comics in from completely different time periods and I, so i'd got a little smash yeah, they, they were so random weren't they it, it was, was like, totally you, random you'd remember, never be guaranteed to finish a storyline i'd had sort of um so i picked up an ish one of those um, i'm segueing now but i picked up one of those in a news agents in muswell hill and it had the second issue of amazing spider-man which i think is with it may be not so it's like one of the second, third, fourth, under that. It's with the lizard. And then next to it was the first appearance of Carnage, which is uh, something from you know the 90s. It was so polarizing. And so one's like, you know, very, very old classic Spider-Man stuff, and the next one in sort of like japes, you know, Peter Parker's a teenager, and the next one's about serial killer. And I must have been what somewhere around nine, ten, something like that. And it's it's such an interesting dichotomy to get that you know where you've got this one character but you get an exposure to how that character's changed through the ages so to speak mm. and and i got both those issues in one bumper thing and and it came with a poster and some other stuff as well that you tore out and at the time i i just wanted the next one because they both revealed different storylines to me and um but you know the, the UK supply in news eight corner shops at the time, you're never going to get the next issue. And they were so random, you know? So I'd always have to go hunting for comics. And a friend of mine started selling his and um, he introduced me to the X-Men and the age of apocalypse. And that right. is a epic story arc. And he basically sold me all his issues. And and that point I was 100% hooked. And then, then I started going down to mega city in, in Camden, in Camden and buying, oh, buying yeah. comics wholesale. <laughs> Was there, was there a particular character that spoke to you most as a young man? It's, it's always been Spider-Man for me. What it's about Spider-Man? Um, you know, they'll tell you that the... They'll tell you, when anyone talks about the history of Spider-Man, they'll say, oh, Spider-Man always appeals to people because um, he's a teenager, and so kids relate to him. But the truth is, the Spider-Man comics I picked up 
where during you know the 90s it was the clone saga and it was venom and it was carnage and it was he wasn't a teenager he was in his early 20s he was just it was the artwork that spoke to me mostly you know mm. as, as an artist myself they were so dynamic it was also around the time of um what's his name um uh well i was buying tom lyle stuff but it, who invented the scarlet spider but it was around the time of mcfarlane and um uh all you know excessive amounts of webbing and really ridiculous poses but you look at even though they're anatomically hugely incorrect you just look at that page and go wow you know what what a complicated web <laughs> if i can make a pun you know of, of artwork and, and i just i just wanted i couldn't i couldn't um sort of ingest it fast enough i just wanted more and more so it, i started with the artwork and then it it very much became a you know you you that's the gateway into the stories and then you then you suddenly realize the artwork is is the secondary driver once you're once you're reading the stories it, that's what it's all about you um did, i think you know most most of us of a certain age have st- <laughs> that are geeky have like stories of you know being ice feeling isolated to a certain extent because of that or marginalized in some way did you yeah. experience that yeah 100 percent. i mean i would this is the thing about the art because i i would buy the comics and i would come into school early because my parents would drop me early and i wouldn't go in the playgrounds i'm not particularly sporty and i would go and sit in the classroom and re- redraw the comics you know right because it was I mean, it sounds so lame. This is like that was my only companion at the time. But no, no, it was. I just got so much joy. <laughs> if it was, it was. No, it's, I got so much joy out of recreating the artwork and um, all my school books and like you know the the inside covers of my books would all just be filled with with you know recreations of that. And the thing is, though, after you draw Spider Man for a certain while, then after that you want you want more. So you're looking for X Men, and then you want more. And then it's about the time Image came out, and Image were doing some crazy characters mm. at the time and so and, and so colorful and vivid and i was just like oh more 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 keep drawing it so um there in that sense that you're talking about isolation but i don't know it, it's i made a joke about it but actually you're surrounded by all these stories and all these characters and stuff it doesn't doesn't feel isolated and then it's quite a while you know before i suppose around the time i met you i met lisa you know, you suddenly realize there's all these other people that have this same passion, but it's not, it's not like super public. People don't really know. And then you have to know some before you realize, oh, wait, oh, you like, you like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not just like it, like a passionate about it, because it's, I think you and I have talked about this before with like people who are football fans. They are effectively geeks as well. They're, absolutely, uh, they're, absolutely. they're geeks, but they, they're, their topic, their subject of interest is football. It's just that everyone's a geek about something. It's just that ours happens to be science fiction. Yeah, so, and they do, and you know, football fans do cosplay every weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretend they're part of a team all yeah, the time. Uh, right, right. Oh, we 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 whooped you last week. You're like, uh, did you? I don't recall seeing you on the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> that's basic cosplay right there. <laughs> right there. I'm t- I mean, let's not let's not even go down that road because it's like <laughs> repressed bitterness might come to the fore. <laughs> Uh, just to say to people listening, it is possible to be a geek and like football, but that wasn't me. <laughs> um, yeah, like Adam just said, not very good at sports, me. So, no. um, so comic conventions, what did that do for you? Um, well, it's funny that because though I feel like comic conventions are a time and a place thing, don't you? Because nowadays it's it's a different beast. 
completely different. When I went there, it was much more... Firstly, it was very, very much about the comics and the literature. Nowadays, it's more about TV shows and the merchandise and, and to an extent, the cosplay. But, and I was, I was actually going to, I was going to bring this up anyway, but what's, I, I, you know, it's not, it's not the convention scene that I grew up with. The convention scene I grew up with, it was about the collection and the, and sort of the quiet passion. You know, you, you have built your collection and you have this passion and then you go there and you can talk to other people, but it's not about flaunting it. It's about saying, oh yeah, you know, what do you collect? Can I buy this of you? You know, it's very, it's very one-to-one basis. Whereas um, nowadays it's like, what can I dress up with? And, and are they going to have this parade? They're going to have this thing. And who can I get a photo with? And it's very out there in public. And the funny thing is, though, I'm quite grateful for that because um, it's brought the thing that I love to the forefront. And although it's not, you know, the conventions aren't the thing that, um, that I remember them being and the thing that I specifically loved, you know, it's something now that a lot of younger people really, really embrace and they, they use it as a way to not be isolated, you know, to come out of their shell, so to speak. Mm. So it's, it's quite a liberating thing, I think, for a lot of people. And um, I, but there's me looking, searching the news agents of Muswell Hill, looking for, looking for a two part Spider-Man comic. Nowadays, I mean, it's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. It just sounded so, just sounded so akin to a, uh, uh, to porn. <laughs> Thank you. There's me searching the news agents for uh, for an issue of so and so. But now we've got the internet and it's everywhere. Um, did not mean to make that analogy. Might even cut it out. <laughs> I mean, for my, I've got, I've got, I've got two boys, and they've started quoting me Marvel characters, which is hilarious. They, they've got Lego marvel heroes 2 on the playstation I, I got it for them last week and they're suddenly saying to, coming up to me going oh we've got gladiator hulk and we've got red hulk and we've got carnon and i went who's who's carnon and they went <laughs> carnage and venom combined and i was like oh of, obs. <laughs> of course right yeah i knew that i mean how does it how does it feel to see this next generation embracing it and it not even being a thing it's not a difficult thing for them it's not like something that you you have to struggle to find or that you don't admit in public like everyone is hip into marvel and dc and you know all this stuff it's it's you know all these geek things like um you know things like legion legion being a tv series does that not seem mental to you like (laughs) legion is a really you know dark sort of comic or even as a premise it's quite dark and now it's a and sandman you know and preacher um sandman's being made but preacher as a as a tv show on on amazon I would never have expected that to happen, ever. I, uh, I went to see the Suicide Squad, um, mostly because, and I decided, regardless of any trailers, I decided I was going to see it because it had a character called Peacemaker in it. Oh, and yeah. I knew that Peacemaker was a uh, property of Charlton Comics, and when they closed down, DC bought that and a, and a whole other number of characters, including my favourite character, The Question. And the Peacemaker was nuts. He loved peace so much, he was willing to kill for it. It's mm-hmm. like the most ridiculous character you can ever imagine. And he looked ridiculous. And suddenly he's in a mainstream film. I oh. couldn't, I mean, I couldn't believe the audacity. And I sat here and went, what? This is a, it's, a, it's a golden time. Um, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing to think about because as I say, these, these filmmakers and, and TV shows, they're starved for content. They want content. And for me, and I know I worked on it, but it's it, Guardians of the Galaxy for me was a bit of a gateway movie because Marvel had had success with well-known brands for Iron Man, Captain America. And then what, Guardians is like the test. You know, it's what if we take a pretty obscure 
group of characters that no one knows. And if we can make something that, that everyone, and, and full, obviously this credit to James Gunn, but if we can make something that everyone likes with this really obscure thing, that just opens the doors, opens mm. the floodgates that yeah. uh, so such a rich history of char- obscure characters and, and little titles that, you know, some random guy might, or girl or anyone might have loved for 20, 30 years, but no one else knows about. And, and that's what I'm loving right now about the climate that's created. There's just this, 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 you know, catalog of work that people can tap into. We also, um, were hanging out around when Buffy was in its prime. Uh, What did, what did Buffy do for you? I was thinking about this. Um, I I had a suspicion you might bring Buffy up. Um, (laughs) I, uh, Buffy isn't, interesting one because it was um it's a lot of teen angst in Buffy I mean it's very it's very selfless you know all the ultimate message there is that she always effectively sacrifices herself for the great good um the show at the time that had the bigger impact for me is actually Farscape which is um um Jim Henson and it was something like four seasons oh I and loved thing- Farscape so much Farscape, Farscape is effectively, for those that don't know, it's effectively like a modern day Buck Rogers, really. It's an, uh, it's an Earth man sent out completely out of his element into space, into an alien world. And then the basic premise from season one was, how do I get home? Right. And that, that was, that was the whole thing. But and this is what I like about the show. And this is, this is the sort of, this was the big take home for me around season three. And it goes for four seasons and the miniseries. He actually does get home and he chooses not to stay. And the reason there's two reasons. One, he's just grown. You know, he's had these two, three years in this experience and he's not that same person. And it speaks, it's very rare for a show to do that where they have a basic premise and they, it just evolves, you know? And so that for me spoke volumes about, oh, you know, just because I've always done things one way, I've always set this particular goal. That doesn't mean that that is the limit. You know, you can always go, you can go further or you can, you can change your mind or you can adapt. And and so that was, I thought that was a really important message um, to get from that. And of course, the other thing is that, of course, the reason he doesn't stay, doesn't go back to Earth, is that he's now got people he cares for that he's protecting. You know, so again, there was there was there was some obviously there's some very wholesome messages there about you know family, effectively. Mm. What did, just looking back, what would you say has, uh, in terms of messages that you get, actually, in terms mm. of the things that accompany you. What's shaped you most as a as a man, as a father, as a husband? Mm. What's made you who you are today? Do you think? I'm going to go classic on you. I'm going to go super classic. I'm going to go uh, Spider Man's main ethos on this. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> it's cheesy, but actually, that they hammer that home so much that as a as a kid reading Spider Man, I took I seriously took that to heart. And then you're like, well, hang on, I'm not a superhero. But as an adult, you know, you, you know, you have kids and you're like, oh, what, what, I mean, what greater power is there than bringing life into this world? You know, and then you have that responsibility. That is your responsibility. You know, no one, no one asks is to be born, so to speak. And you, you have chosen to bring this life and you are responsible for it. And so there is a, it's, it's sort of a throwaway line in Spider-Man, but it has really big knock-on implications, if you mm. ask me. And so I've always felt, um, you know, if you choose to do something, you know, if, if you make that decision, if you action that, you know, you are very much responsible for it. And um, I, you know, I, I can take that ethos into parenthood. Absolutely. 
Cool. I love that. I've gone too deep. I've gone too no, deep. No, well, no, you just, no, it's great. You've just got me thinking about my relationship with my own children, which is, you know, if uh, I believe that everything we do should change us in some way. So this interview should change me in some way. And, you know, you just you, you put things in my head, which is wonderful. That's the, that's the whole point. So thank you. Um, yeah, completely throw me off what I was going to say because I can't remember <laughs> what that is now because it was it was a, it was a good one it was a good one and it's gone now oh great oh well, well while we're here so <laughs> uh, are you married to a geek no how how do you share well, how do you navigate that. that passion I um uh, through the Ewok movie is the short answer <laughs> did not see that coming so when you marry someone who's never seen Star Wars, but turns uh, to like cutesy things, the gateway, this is before, this is before um, the new films. It's, it's probably a little after Phantom Menace and stuff. The gateway is the Ewok movie. Because I showed my then girlfriend <laughs> the Ewok movie and she was like, oh, they're so cute. And then I was like, right, well, you know, this is going to segue to Jedi, I'm telling you. So that was, that was the gateway into the Star Wars stuff. But I tell you what it I tell you what was hilarious about that uh, because I introduced him on a really obscure film like a really a really obscure thing she could instantly see the passion you know because it's not like I'm saying oh well you gotta watch Star Wars everyone watch Star Wars I went no 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 I'm not gonna p- put that on you right now we're gonna start with Ewoks nice. <laughs> um, and so she immediately you know she could see how you know much of that whole like world that I, I knew about and clearly had a passion for and so she would start doing things like there was a star wars exhibition at the london town hall or whatever and they had Han solo and kryptonite and stuff and so she it was a, she woke me up one morning and she'd styled her hair like the the leah buns and was like right we're off and i was like where are we going she just took me there you know we did we did lightsabers in front of a green screen and stuff so you know and i was like this is the best day ever <laughs> <laughs> done this for me before so she could again it was a case of she identified my passion and she could see how much you know pleasure i got out of someone someone you know sort of rewarding me with it if that makes sense um i mean last year during lockdown you know there wasn't much we could do and she had the genius idea of buying me the lego millennium falcon and i was like oh just nailed it what a perfect birthday present while we're all stuck at home was it the was it the ultimate edition as, no, I'm not made of money, Dave. Okay, okay, fair enough. It was, uh, it was the, I think it was the um, one from uh, Force Awakens, but right. um, it was uh, no, it was, it was, that was great. Just sat there for the day with the kids, and I had the whole thing of going, no, you can't play with, you can't play with my Lego. This is my Lego to the kids. Uh, I've recently got that because uh, when I came out of hospital with COVID, I, I wanted something to do while I was convalescing, and mm. I was like, I want the Razor Crest, which is the Mandalorian oh, yeah. ship. So I yeah. got hold of that, and I was like, and my kids are like, can we play with it? No. What? No. no. Can we help you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I will do so much for you kids, but you're not playing with my Lego. Sorry. Well, that's, that's an interesting thing as well, isn't it? Because as I'm going to throw one back at you, as how is it as a um, a dad, you know, having that, introducing that, well, never mind to your partner, introducing it to your kids, because I find it's... Um, you you they just they they want it from you because they they see it in you right they see you're uh, a geek and they see what you're into yeah no? yeah not not mine 
<laughs> I was trying to get them into Star Wars. No interest whatsoever. Doctor Who, no interest. Uh, so what I've started with was uh, DC Superhero Girls. Oh, yes. Uh, and that's that's proved a good gateway. So they kind of flirt with those characters. They know those characters. They love those characters. They're still kind of like, you know, on the fence about how much they want to invest in those characters. But it's there. Um, and I often wonder if I've done a good enough job of indoctrination. <laughs> but I think, I'm just saying, I think the Lego is an interesting one because, you know, they can, like my kids will go on and about Yoda, but the same thing. They haven't watched Star Wars, but mm. they've, they've, got the, they've got the Lego. You know, they've seen some of the cartoons. And now they're experts, but they've never seen the original material. But it's sort of, it's, sort of, it's nice because I now sit down with my eldest, who's about eight, and we pick a Netflix show that is like, you know, our time. So it'll be the youngest one goes to bed and we'll sit there before his bedtime. So we did um, Pacific Rim the Black on Netflix. Wow. Okay. Which How old is, probably, is he? It's, a, it's probably on the edge of appropriate, if I'm honest. I think he's he's eight, but it was. Uh, I feel like that's a twelve. I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> it's not not particularly brutal, but he that was great because he liked having time with me, and he liked you know that it was something that I was invested in. And so he got a lot of it too. So that's that's nice that stage that we're at now. They both love Ghostbusters. I know, and I'm like, they which is a weird one. Ghostbusters. It's a bit like Ninja Turtles. It's sort of always. A, a franchise that, or something that people know whether or not they've watched the original film. Yeah, no, no. My, my kids love it too. They know the song. They know the music. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm looking forward to showing them the new Ghostbusters because it's got a kid in it. Yes, it's got the Stranger Stranger Things kid, doesn't it? Yeah. What um, If there was one property that you would want to influence your kids the most, what would it be? What In, in, in terms of I'd want them to love it. Uh, or to learn from it, actually. It's sort of already slightly... Uh, do you mean... The thing is, I've started buying my eldest uh, monthly comic book. So I've, I'm getting him Strange Academy from Marvel, which is basically Doctor Strange running a school, effectively. And um, so I, it's a bit like Marvel's Harry Potter in a funny way. Um, and he just... He'd seen the boxes and boxes and boxes of comics that I have. And now every month when I get half a dozen, he gets one. <laughs> right, yeah. but, but that's great. And he's constantly like, where am I getting the next one? I'm going to get the next one. And so what I'm getting out of that is I just like, I'm loving seeing the passion that he, you know, is, is he sits there in his bed and he has a stack of them and he reads them. And we're also encouraging reading as well. And so, and sometimes I'll read them to him. Sometimes he reads them himself. But the point is it's, there's so much easily available content everywhere, you know, computer games and iPhones and Netflix and stuff. What I'm liking about that is that he's going back to what I first fell in love with, you know, the actual comic book. Mm. And my kids are both avid like artists as well, so they'll sit there and draw and stuff, and they'll make up their own, make up their own Pokemon, various things. But I'm I'm just enjoying the fact that he's actually reading comics. Really, I love it. Love it. I'm obviously not doing well enough. <laughs> I, need, I need to, I need to add one for them on your subscription, honestly. Yeah. And the other part now is that the little one, who's five, is now getting jealous that he doesn't get a comic book. Well, and it's I, very hard to find comic books for a five-year-old. Yes, I know, which is bizarre. Um, I have decided to uh, buy less digital stuff. Because what I've realized is I've, I've happily transitioned to digital stuff, except for properties that I love. Um, what I realized, they're not seeing me 
they're seeing me look at an iPad. They're not seeing me reading books and comics. So that's not going into their head. So I've decided to, to switch that up uh, a little and bit. I, I, I can totally agree with that. I've got a Marvel Unlimited subscription and, and, and it's fantastic for getting all this content, you know, and it's stuff that I'd never really, I would have taken me ages to track down. But I do, there is just something about holding the book, you know, and, and turning the pages and everything. Mm. And I get, I get irate because, as I say, my son keeps them by the bed, but they fall down the side or they get dog eared or whatever. And I just have to sort of bite my tongue and go, no, it's fine. There is. Can't do anything about that. Brilliant. So, uh, if you could recommend to me one comic at the moment, one TV show, what do you reckon I should watch? What will get me through these last days of COVID? Oh my gosh! Um... Or what? Or what's? Or what's really been good for you in the last year? Maybe that's a good spot. way to put it. Put me on the spot. I mean, as a diehard Marvel fan, I can tell you right now that the what is going on with the X Men comics right now is just brilliant. Jonathan Hickman. And just the dawn of X stuff and the power of X stuff is amazing. It's when it, so the X Men, you know, as you'll know, is is effectively what Stanley's take on the civil rights movement mm. or, or trying to. Mm. And um, for years they've been the underdogs in the Marvel universe. They've always been, you know, discriminated against, so to speak. And um, they've suddenly they're suddenly all out on top, you know, because they're meant to be an evolution of of homo sapiens um and so suddenly they're they're sort of you know claiming that and and the humans are backing down so to speak and it's an interesting uh thing for a company to go oh we've always we've told the story this way for 50 60 years and and now we've gone no oh, we're gonna we're gonna switch it up we're gonna change it and it's a whole new take on it so it's that is fascinating is it, to me. is it really do you feel like they're going to reset when you get to the end of it they're going to just rinse and repeat and find a That's way a to really, go back to that the status is a really, quo? that's a really good question i don't know because it's been going for a little while now and you never know which comics so dc has a terrible habit of just resetting like i read <sighs> after they killed after they, but, they did, but, but not really resetting oh well exactly they did the death of batman which was which was fine but the interesting part for me was there was a follow-up called the quest for the cowl Mm. And in the end, I think relatively inevitably, Dick Grayson, Nightwing, took up the mantle of Batman. But he was a different type of Batman. And I found that fascinating as a read because you're going, he doesn't have all the baggage of Bruce Wayne, but he also has the looming presence of Bruce Wayne as this, 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 the, the original Batman to live up to, you know, and he wasn't as big or as stocky or he didn't have all the, those years of history. But you know, he had enough of it and his own history to 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 sort of have a go at it. And I love those comics because I thought, wow, they've not done anything this fresh in years. And then of course they just undid it the the snap yeah. of a finger. Yeah. Um so I totally get your point. I, how long is it gonna last? I don't know, but I do think um I hope it lasts because uh, with the X-Men stuff, because it's interesting. I mean, equally they're they're Marvel and what are they they're just about to undo Spider-Man's brand new day thing where they yeah. They, they killed off his marriage to Mary Jane, and they're, they're just about to undo it right now. Um, and that's been going for 10-odd years. I was going to say, yeah. 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 So nothing lasts in comics. Nothing lasts. It doesn't, it doesn't mean the world. You, right, I'll tell you another comic that's brilliant right now is Thor. So he's now the all-father of Asgard. Okay. And effectively, he's King Thor, and he has all that power, the power that created the hammer. You know, he has that power. Plus, he is still the god of thunder, so it's a double whammy. Um, 
and Odin is still around, but he's he has relinquished that power. So it's just an interesting thing. There was a thing recently where he made Galactus his his herald instead of the other way around, and you're like, "What? This is awesome!" So definitely, definitely look up the current issues of Thor. They're really good. Nice. Okay. It's lovely talking. No, to you. likewise, likewise. We've known each other a while now. It's that kind of really slammed it home. It was like, how long? Yeah, I know. But it's nice. I've got a little history around my house because I've got drawings we got at conventions years ago, you know, still dotted around my house. It read that history of your life as a geek. Yeah. It's nice when you can look back on that. Which is actually, and, I mean, I'm still recording. So let me ask you this because this is something we, we touched on um, the last time we spoke, which was about um, music you know, in the way some people use music to chart their lives, it's you're mm. saying that doesn't quite hold for you. No, I had this weird argument with my brother where he he was going on about stuff and I was like, well, music's just not a big part of my life. And he sort of laughed at me and was like, what do you mean? I said, and I was like, it's just not like, I mean, when I you have kids, this sounds really weird. When you have kids, you have to make certain sacrifice in your life because you don't have time for stuff. And for me, I was never going to sacrifice movies and I was never going to sacrifice certain TV shows and, and comic books. And for me, the thing that gave was music. And I was like, you know, I'm just not, I don't know what the latest things are. I don't really, I would rather spend my time, you know, sitting and watching some obscure random comic adaptation on Netflix than I would, um, or reading a book, you know, that then sitting there listening to the, to the radio, so to speak. So yeah, for me, the thing that gave was music, but you know, I've gone totally off tangent here, but everyone has a passion and uh i guess ours is just uh you know that much more specific it's uh I, it, you know it's not it's not a, it's not a specific uh tv show or a film or, or a book per se but it's that whole genre in whatever form it comes in brilliant lovely i'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm right there with you and i uh i often feel that uh um I think it's assumed that music charts everyone's life. You remember where you were when this song was playing, and that's true for a couple of songs, but I actually, you know, I'm just looking over at my bookshelf and I see a whole chart of my history just, you know, by looking yeah. at different shelves. I remember where I was when Phantom Menace came out and it was a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out to be crushingly disappointing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I remember... I remember Spider-Man coming out, you know, the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that stuff. I remember going to conventions. That's that's my history. That's your history. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Adam, yeah. thank you for your time and for sharing with us. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And I hope you really enjoyed that. I did. It's really good to have a chance to chat with an old friend when you don't really make that time in real life. The podcast provides the perfect excuse. Um, so listening back to this, uh, you know, a, a little while after recording it, uh, uh, I'm asking myself what hit me and what hit me is something that's made me a little bit jealous, actually. But it's something I intend to learn from moving forward. And it's his passion actually and what and you know he said it quite blatantly that what got him where he was was to follow his passion and i've always had a passion for the things that i have um that I, that I have desired in my life but what i've missed here what adam brought to bear was this innovation 
to just get up and do stuff. And I think, like me, people go, you know, people tell me, you know, just just do it. And I'm like, I don't know what do it means. But he showed this innovation and the ability to go to this place and say to people, how do I end up working here? How do I get a job here? And actually just do something. And it's that ability to just act on your passion, to find a way that's really moved me, actually. Um, and, you know, I've been, since I got out of hospital with COVID, it's something I've been thinking about more and more. But uh, I think I found a little bit of uh, inspiration today, Adam. So of all the geeky stuff that I could have taken out of it, actually, what I've taken out of it is your passion and innovation. So thank you for that. I also particularly enjoyed talking about how this works um, with our children. But I hope you uh, enjoyed the episode and got something out of it. And in this phase, the favour I'm asking for is that you help me fund this. And in funding, I'm just talking about allowing me to pay the extra bit of money I need to to make this much more accessible for people in terms of transcriptions and hopefully in terms of making a video episode that I can get someone to sign. None of this comes cheaply, but it's something I really... Well, want to enact so if you can help please go to the ko-fi page ko-fi.com naked geek one i think it is but the link will be in the show notes and on the website join me next week as we enter phase five of the naked geek